In the first five episodes of the second season, I talked about the three components of the who you are group of components of my trustworthiness model, competence, personality compatibility, and symmetry. In this episode, I will start talking about the components of the what you do during an interaction that would allow you to have an immediate impact on your trustworthiness by the end of that interaction. There are three components in this group, positivity, time, and intimacy. In this episode, I will talk about positivity and the two subcomponents of positivity, the level of BS that you bring into an interaction, and the level of your self-centered behavior. These will be multiplied and accelerated by time and intimacy, and I'll talk about those in later episodes. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of The Trust Show. I'm your host, Yoram Solomon, a researcher of trust and the author of The Book of Trust. In this educational podcast, I will challenge you to think differently about trust through the eight laws of trust and the six components of trustworthiness. But I will not only teach you about trust, I will also give you actionable advice on how to build trust, be trusted, and know who to trust because the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? I'll start with a reminder. There are two groups of components in my trustworthiness model. The first group is the who you are. Who you are is what you typically do, not just right now, but what you typically do. Who you are is the starting point of the level of trust that I have in you during an interaction. That's where we start. Who you are relies on evidence, it's typically because I have time to gather evidence, because there is enough evidence to determine, at least in my eyes, who you are. It is slow to change because it will change between interactions, but, but again, very slowly because there are no interactions and typically there's no new information. The who you are components could be transferable. This is what I hear about you from other people and from what they tell me about you and the fact that I trust them, I may be trusting you to some extent. That's the group of the who you are. The second group is the what you do. And the what you do refers to what you do right now during an interaction. If the who you are affected the level of trust at the beginning of the interaction, the what you do during the interaction will affect the ending level of trust of that interaction. It relies on perception. Sometimes it relies on intuition, not yours, mine. When I think about what you do, when I perceive what you do, and I react to what you do, it changes fast. It changes during an interaction. The interaction might be one hour long, and it will be enough to change, for better or worse, the level of interaction. It changes much faster than the who you are components. 
who what you do requires first-hand impression. It is not transferable. It's not enough for somebody else to tell me what you did during an interaction with me. And I don't care that much about what you did during an interaction with them, although that might have some effect on who I think you are. What you do requires a first-hand impression by me, and it's not transferable. A few things to think about in the context of positivity and in the interaction part of what you do. It's what you do right now. But, but even more than that, it's important that you understand that it's measured through my eyes. So it's how I feel about what you do right now. It doesn't matter if you believe that what you did was positive. Also, keep in mind, trust law number three, that, that trust is personal. And think about the personality compatibility part, which means that I may interpret what you do differently than how other people would interpret it based on our personality compatibility. There are other laws that would affect because trust is relative. But it's important that you understand that it's measured through my eyes. Your positivity is measured through my eyes. It may be positive through the eyes of one person and negative through the eyes of another person. It might be positive at one time through my eyes and negative at another time, and I'll touch on that later. As I said, it has a much bigger impact right now than who I thought you were. For example, I was told that you never lie. You just lied to me during an interaction. That has a much bigger impact than what I thought about you, what I knew about you, what I was told about you before. But what you do right now or your positivity, it adds up to who I think that you are. So you can think of the what you do as some kind of a faucet that fills the who you are bucket. So everything that you do, the positivity, the negativity during an interaction adds up to what I think about you in the context of your competence, our personality compatibility, and our symmetry. There's another way to look at it, and, and this is I'm going to use financial terms. The who you are components are kind of like the balance sheet. This, this is what you have in the bank. These are your assets. These are your liabilities. And I'm not gonna talk about uh, the shareholder equity here, but, but it's what you have at a certain point in time. The what you do components, well, that's your income statement. That's the change. That's something has changed during that interaction. So there, now I gave you the, uh, the, the financial equivalent or financial analogy to uh, the who you are and what you do components. So you can look at the same activities as being part of both the who you are and what you do. Because when you do something, for, for example, you do something unfair during an interaction, okay? It falls under the positivity components of what you do right now. But if you are known to be doing the same thing, the same unfair thing on a regular basis, the more times you do it, the more times I observe it, it becomes the who you are. It becomes your brand. And I'd like to quote a very famous astronaut, Jeff Bezos, who said that your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. 
the positivity that you bring into the interaction is really made of two major subcomponents: the level of BS that you bring and how self-centered you are in your behavior. I'll start talking about the BS. The BS ranges or, or is measured by going all the way from a total BS, everything I say and do is BS, to being a very straight shooter. Now, something you need to keep in mind is that people have BS detectors. You may not think that they have it, but they do. So don't assume that BS behavior can go undetected. I remember one morning I woke up uh, during the COVID pandemic and uh, I turned on the TV and I watched NBC and I watched the the local NBC affiliate. The time was 6.55 a.m. And uh, as you probably know, at 7 a.m., uh, it goes to the national Today show. So at 6.55, I turned on the TV and I saw that they said that the number of cases of COVID cases in Texas had declined 60%. Declined 60%. And, and then they talked about that. And, and five minutes later, the Today Show started. I didn't even change channel. I did not touch the remote. And they started with the number of cases, COVID cases, have increased significantly, especially in the South. And they gave, as an example, the state of Texas, where the number of COVID cases increased 81%. Okay, five minutes earlier, you said that they declined 60%. I did not touch the remote. I did not change the channel. I'm on the same channel. We're still with NBC. In five minutes, it went from declining 60% to increasing 81%. And I tried to understand how does that happen? So I went to the CDC data, which I assumed that they used as the basis. You know what I found? That was interesting. Both of them were right. The number of COVID cases in the state of Texas had declined 60% over the last month. However, over the last week, it has increased 81%. So why would one affiliate, one station, say that it declined or use that statistic, while the other used the other statistic showing that it increased? Well, let me give you the context. When it was shown in the local affiliate, it said that the number of cases declined in Texas by 60% and the governor is going to create a ban on forcing uh, masks, the use of masks. Now, I don't want to go into the politics of it, but the thing, the fact that would support a decision like that was the fact that the number of cases in Texas have declined 60% over the last month. When the National Today Show showed an increase of 81%, they followed that by saying people need to get vaccinated. And once again, I'm not going to talk about the politics of that. But the interesting thing is how they used the same source of data. They just used different cuts of that data to support their position. Confirmation bias. These are examples of confirmation bias. Uh, the definition, the dictionary definition of confirmation bias is the tendency to gather evidence that confirms pre-existing expectations, typically by emphasizing or pursuing supporting evidence while dismissing or failing to seek contradictory evidence. This is just one example of BS behavior. When you bring data 
or, or, or you, you use confirmation bias, that's bringing in BS into an interaction. And you must assume that the other people you interact with can see through it. And that would not be considered positive, but rather negative behavior. Let me give you a few examples of uh, good and bad in the BS versus no BS uh, spectrum. I say what I mean. That's good. Or I don't say what I mean. That's bad. I'm driven by good intentions versus by bad intentions. I use common sense. That's good. I get to the point or I get to the point quickly versus I keep beating around the bush. I take responsibility. I admit to my mistakes versus I blame others. I'm genuine. That's good. Versus I'm posturing. I'm doing things mainly for show, for other people to see rather than being genuine about them. On the good side, I'm very clear. On the bad side, I use symbols, labels, metaphors. On the good side, I'm informal and friendly. On the bad side, I'm very formal. I'm very unfriendly, very detached. On the good side, I use data and knowledge versus on the bad side, I use assumptions. On the good side, I'm unbiased. I come into the meeting with an open mind, willing to change my mind versus on the bad side, I use confirmation bias. I'm fixated. I have an agenda when I go into the meeting and I'm not willing to change it. On the good side, I'm rational. On the bad side, I'm irrational and emotional. On the good side, I believe in doing things right and not hurt anyone. On the bad side, I believe that the end justifies the means. Doesn't matter who gets hurt in the process. On the good side, I use humor and sarcasm, but I use them appropriately. On the bad side, I use more than the level of trust we already have can support. And I'll talk about that in a future episode in, a much, in much more detail. On the good side, I seek to understand. On the bad side, I seek to label. On the good side, I seek consensus. Consensus, by the way, is not when everybody votes exactly the same way. Consensus is when everybody gets to voice their opinion, gets to be heard, and then we reach some kind of a, a consensus that emerges. On the bad side, I lobby for majority. You know, when you behave in a no BS way, you say things like this. You, you say, I don't know. When you don't know something, you don't pretend to know everything. You say, I was wrong. Try saying that. I was wrong. There is, by the way, an advanced version of it. And that's, I was wrong and you were right. It's a lot painful than just saying, I was wrong. It's being open to learn. It's admitting that this was my mistake and, and actually saying it. This was my mistake. I'm, I'm sorry. This was my mistake. And you know what? Earlier today, I sent a letter to actually it was to a government office where I said I made a mistake and I admitted to it. It's remembering that there are two sides to every story. And I'm sure that I'll talk about that more in future episodes. The second major subcomponent of uh, positivity, the positivity that you bring into an interaction or the negativity that you bring into an interaction is your self-centrism. 
that's on one side of the spectrum. On the other side is empathy. So it's really kind of how much do you care about the other person versus yourself? Uh, does the world revolve around me? And there was a study done in 2017 of individualism, that, that's how it was called, individualism in uh, practices and values. And it used the World Values Survey database as uh, the, the data point. Uh, there's a lot of data in there. And what they found was this. Over the last 51 years, in across 78 countries, the level of individualism in values and practices had increased 12%. Now, I, I know what you think. 12% in 51 years? What's the big deal? So yeah, we're a little more individual. We're a little more self-centered. Well, then you may be more impressed when I tell you that over the same period of time, in English-speaking countries, guess who leads that group? That number was not 12%. It was an increase between 60 and 69%. We are 60 to 69% more self-centered than we were 50 years ago. And you know, whenever in a workshop I talk about that, there is one example to the opposite that I like to bring up. And that's uh, a video that I'm sure you can find on YouTube. I found it on YouTube from the uh, 2016 Olympics in Rio when during a long run, uh, it was a women, um, uh, I don't think it was a marathon, but um, maybe 1500. They were running and they were in the group and the group is very tight. And one of them stumbled. And when she stumbled, another runner stumbled. Now, this is the Olympics. This is like the peak of your athletic career. And the person who stumbled over her got up. She was about to start running and then she stopped. And she turned around and she helped the other runner get up. By doing that, she knew that there is absolutely no way she's going to catch up with the group and, and win anything. But at that point, she put the other runner, the, the one who actually fell down first and, and therefore tripped her, she put her first. I'll give you examples for good and bad in individualism, just like I did with the level of BS. So on the good side, you're empathetic to others. And I can promise you that there's going to be probably a complete episode just about empathy and how it relates to trust. Good side, you're empathetic to others. Bad side, you believe that the world revolves around you. On the good side, you believe that there are two sides to every story. And I'm here to tell you that there are at least two sides to every story. Come argue with me. On the bad side, there's only one side to the story. It's my side. I'm right and you're wrong. On the good side, it's being transparent. It's being visible, letting the other people see inside you. On the bad side, you're being reserved. You're, you're not sharing. On the good side... You can take a punch. You, you don't get so defensive. On, on the bad side, you can be oversensitive. You can be offended very easily. And this is really to the point where people are not going to want to talk to you openly and freely because you get offended so easily, which again comes from the fact that you're self-centered, that you care about uh, being offended more than uh, what the other person is trying to tell you or do. On the good side, you offer more than you ask for. 
On the bad side, obviously, you ask for more than you offer. On the good side, you bring value into the interaction, whereas on the bad side, you're the recipient. You always drain value from the interaction. On the good side, you strive for win-win. You try to grow the pie. You, you try to make it bigger. You, you don't only think about yourself, but you think about the other person. How can they get more at the end of this interaction? On the bad side, you treat every interaction as a zero-sum game. For me to win, you must lose. I hardly ever or never really heard anybody thinking of a zero-sum game is you must win, so therefore I must lose. Although I'm sure that we can find examples for that. But you look at it as a zero-sum game. On the good side, of being less self-centered, more empathetic, you listen before you speak. While on the bedside, you speak much more than you listen. Now, I have to clarify, I'm a public speaker. I deliver workshops, I do keynotes. I typically talk more than I listen, but I don't call that an interaction. When I sit down with people, I try at least not to talk more than I listen. One more thing I want you to think about in, in the context of empathy, and again, I'm sure I'll get back to that in a later episode, is the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you remember, the hierarchy of needs has things, uh, you know, from the bottom, uh, physiological needs, you need air, you need water, uh, then you have safety, you need to feel safe, you have love and belonging, you have self-esteem, and at the top is self-actualization. You have to always keep in mind that you and the other person may not be in the same level of uh, the hierarchy of needs. You may have a job and the other person may not. So while you are worried about whether your job really helps you self-actualize when the other person is worried about where they're going to pay rent from and, and how they're going to get food. So that, that's part of thinking about others. And, and as you do that, they will trust you more. So as I said, the opposite for self-centrism is empathy. And as I promised, I will talk about that in a later episode. So positivity is made of BS or the level of BS you contribute or, or you bring into an interaction and how self-centered you are. But I want to talk about positivity versus negativity now. So one example that, that I ask people is, uh, would you ever trust a company that has a Better Business Bureau, BBB, ranking of less than 1.5 stars, with one being the minimum, five being the maximum, would you trust a company like this with your email account password? I'm going to guess the answer is no. Would you trust a company that has 1.5 stars and fly their airplanes with their pilots? My guess is the answer would be again, no. Would you buy something, an electronic product that costs more than $1,000 and should last more than three years from a company with 1.5 stars? Again, no. And the final one, I promise, would you buy anything from a company that has less than 1.5 stars? This is best or based on more than a thousand customer reviews. And by the way, there is a an extra credit here. They also have government actions against them. Would you buy anything from them? No, you don't trust any of them, right? First company that you wouldn't give your email account password to is Google. 
Second company, Southwest Airlines. Third one is Apple, and the fourth one is Amazon. And you would agree with me that they're all great companies. So how come they had such bad reviews? And the reason is because we are much more likely to post a negative review if we had a negative experience than to post a positive review if we had a positive experience. This is actually supported in research. There's something called the Losada ratio or the critical positivity ratio. In fact, if you Google the number 2.9013 based on a research done in 2005, this is what's going to come up, the critical positivity ratio that claims that we respond 2.9013 or three times stronger to negative than to positive. There's another, uh, there's another article that was published in the Review of General Psychology in 2001 called Bad is Stronger Than Good, using all kinds of different areas in life to show, to demonstrate that we respond much stronger to something negative than to something positive. Uh, my, my personal favorite is the prospect theory that was created by Daniel Kahneman and the most Tversky in 1979, which, by the way, awarded them the Nobel Prize for Economics in 2002. Their focus was an investment and how do we respond to risk in investment versus rewarding investment. But the bottom line is that if you do something negative, it would have dramatically stronger negative impact on building trust, on you being trusted by the other person, than if you do one positive thing. Think about this. If you do one bad thing, it will take you three good things just to get back to where you were before you did the one bad thing. Think about telling a lie. Tell a lie once. How many times, for how long would you have to never tell a lie and always tell the truth just to get to the point where you trusted the level you were before you told that one lie. I'll talk about this uh, concept of bad is much stronger than good. I'm not going to say necessarily three times stronger than good, but it's much stronger than good. I'll talk about it later when I'll talk about my proprietary seven-step process of becoming more trusted, and that will be in season three. I'll say one last thing about positivity. Positivity is not absolute. It is relative. And it is relative. It's in the eye of the beholder. Your positivity is interpreted by the, the other person. It's dynamic. It depends on the level of trust that we already have. So, for example, you can say or do something early on in the relationship and at a lower level of trust that would be considered bad. But as we get to know each other better and I trust you more, say or do the same thing and it's not considered bad anymore. You know, I can you can call me a certain name and early on in the relationship. And this actually happened to me when someone called me by a certain name that I found really offensive. And, you know, I, that was bad. And as we started building that relationship later, years later, she said the same thing to me. And I was thinking in my head, look, she said the same thing. And now I'm looking at it as a joke, as something funny, and I'm not offended anymore. So it also is time dependent. And finally, positivity sets the direction of trust in the interaction. If your what you bring into the interaction is positive, you will increase the level of trust. If what you bring is, ne is negative, you will reduce it. You will reduce it much more than the equivalent of increasing it. 
What sets the speed would be time and intimacy, and I'll talk about these in the future episodes. Let me summarize. In this episode, I covered the first component of the what you do group in my trustworthiness model, positivity. Positivity is what sets the direction of trust building in this interaction. It determines whether by the end of the interaction I will be more trusted or less trusted. Time and intimacy will set the speed, and I'll talk about those in the next episodes. Positivity is made of two major subcomponents. The level of BS that you bring into the interaction, even if you think that the other person can't tell, and how you prioritize your needs versus the other person's needs. Or in other words, do you think and behave as if the world revolves around you? What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll make sure to answer it or find the answer to it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. That's Y-O-R-A-M at thetrustshow.com. If you like this podcast episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get new episodes. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings would help others who are looking for a podcast just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, Look up my online course at trustedatwork.com. Find my books on Amazon or go to my website, yoramsolomon.com. And remember one thing, the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening.